Hi everyone, welcome to the Renaissance Project, a Black girls movement. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Chase Clark, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this journey of liberation and conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Renaissance Project, a Black girls movement. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Chase Clark, and today we're here um, continuing a super important conversation with my second series, The Story of My Life, and I'm here with two very important guests, and if you guys don't mind, I'll have you introduce yourself. So we'll start with Marcus. Sure. Uh, my name is Marcus Thomas. I am a program director at Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Also run my own business, Thomas Consulting Group, working with uh, nonprofit organizations and for-profit organizations with organizational development, community relations, and civic engagement needs. But uh, most importantly, I'm a husband and a father to an 18-month-old baby girl. That's lit. That's lit. <laughs> my name is uh, Anthony Morgan, uh, professional name, entertainment name, Freedom Major. I have a nonprofit, We the People, where we work with civic engagement and directly with the youth. Um, we do a lot of variety of different things. I'm also in a partnership with Black Voters Matter, so we help do um, municipal processes, helping people get educated and getting out information, getting the voter participation rates up. And I also make music, so um, I just try to be just a guy floating around in the community making change. Perfect. Yeah. Um, well, thank you both so much for coming, especially on this rainy day. You said <laughs> you like the rain, so I know you don't mind. Oh, but my. Yeah. It bumps me out a little bit. <laughs> so um, without further ado, we'll jump right into the questions because we have a lot to unpack here. So it's very clear that America is in a super fragile state right now as it pertains to race relations. And over the past year, um, it's been a lot of conversation about how to fight for equality. And I wanted to know from the both of you, as of right now, how does it feel to be a black man in America? Wow, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, I, on one end of the spectrum, I count it as a blessing to be a black man in America because mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't want to be any other race, right. quite honestly. Uh, but on the other hand, it's scary to be a black man in America uh, because any any point in time you could be taken out you right. know literally like you know any any time i speak to another black man at the end of the phone call text conversation whatever i tell be careful because you just don't know because it's like almost like it's a it's, it's a target on a black man in america today right. and that's unfortunate right agree agree i would i would say that it's an honor first of all like he said to be a black man you know to be a man of color and culture and um I would also say there's a responsibility, you know, because, um, you know, being a black man in the community with the, the way our culture is right now is more of a responsibility to be a black man. You know, they, they put us off and uh, have us at a certain standard of what we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so um, the challenge of being a black man is, is rising to the occasion of what you know you are and fighting the um fighting what they put in front of you of what the depiction of a black man is supposed to be. Right. You know, so it's an honor to be a black man. It's a challenge, but you know, yeah. Yeah. So, um, in an earlier episode I had with my mom and I, we talked about being a black woman and for me being a black young woman growing up. Um, and one thing that I equated it to was being almost like in a, a boxing match of some sort, always having to defend myself to not only, you know, other cultures, but sometimes mine as well. And that can be super, you know, difficult, but we talked about all of that in our uh, first episode. So um, with that, we also talked a little bit about her and I on a side tangent about corporate America. That's where she works and that's her um, niche. And um, we see the news reports about 
the concerns with natural hair tattoos as it pertains to being in the workplace. So Marcus, I wanted to ask you, do you feel that you have to conform to the certain powers that be in order to be a successful black man in America? No, I don't think so. Um, as a man of faith, I believe what's meant for you is going to be for you, right. regardless of of what the circumstances are. Um, I, I believe that if you're conforming to the, the stigma or to what um, white America or even sometimes what black America thinks you should be, you're not being yourself. Right. And, um, you know, like I say, you know, I work for I work for a church, work for, you know, a nonprofit organization. But everybody at the church knows I'm a huge hip hop head. And that's, that's who I am. Right. And no matter where I'm at, I'm always going to walk in the room and be Marcus. Because if I'm not being Marcus, then I'm being truly authentic to, to myself. Even when I was in corporate America, I spent 14 years in corporate America working in the financial industry. And I was always myself. Had a very successful career uh, in, the, in the industry. And I was always being myself because if I know I'm being myself, I'm being who God made me to be. Right. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, like you said, you have to be confident in who you are. The truth is, though, as a black man, when you have tattoos and dreadlocks, people view you and treat you differently, even black people. It's not just like, you know, just like other coaches, like your own people treat you differently. And right. so, like he said, you have to understand who you are and walk in, in confidence and who you are and um, love yourself for who you are, you know, and just walk in that. But the truth is, is that even getting jobs sometimes, it's a little harder. But when you show who you are and people get to know you, they can sometimes look beyond that. I think it's changing, too. Yeah, you I know, agree. I don't I think, you know, 10 years ago was a little bit more strenuous than it is right now. I agree. And I agree with both. Yeah, points. yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So um, this summer, we were forced to really evaluate the state of America, especially with the public murder of George Floyd. So from there, we had to, you know, we were kind of forced to take looks at racial profiling and um, racial discrimination in America. Um, but for some people, while this felt like a step in the right direction for others, you know, it was more like, well, we've seen this before. We're going to have these talks and then it's going to be over. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what would you say to people who are starting to feel apathetic towards the movement? What would you say? I would say that you um, you have to go back and look at history, right? And you right. got to follow history and look at a process. And um, we live in a time now where technology has made everything look very instantly happening. Like everything's just happening so fast. Mm -hmm. And so the truth is in movement work, it's a lot of different moving pieces. And it's a, it's truly a process. You know, you're working on uh, a systematic problem. You're working on people's consciousness. You're working on actual, you know, health issues. You're working on a lot of different things that, that play into the overall movement of what we see when people are screaming, I can't breathe or no justice, no peace. And so to those people, I would say it's a process just like life and that you have to trust the process and do your part in the process. Like you can't knock the process if you're not doing your part in the process, you know, okay. whether it's voting, whether it's reading, getting educated and doing your due diligence about the stuff that you, you feel. The problem is with our society is that we're screaming in the streets, we're protesting, but then we're not taking an extra step forward to, uh, to, to, uh, to really take advantage of what we're supposed to be doing, which is voting, using our voices, calling up our city council people, uh, coming to different uh, organization meetings, working with different organizations, going into your community, you know, X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're not doing the work, you can't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so I definitely found myself in that boat, kind of like, well, what could I do? And especially as like a younger person. So I'm curious from both of you to know, um, from your perspective, what do you think that 
young people can start doing to get involved because there has been kind of a conversation about, you know, the aspects of going out to protest and things like that. So what would you say to a young person who was looking to get involved but didn't really know how or what direction they should go in? I would say start educating yourself first and foremost. You know, learn about the history, you know, learn about, you know, those other leaders uh, from the civil rights eras. You know, mm-hmm. we, we all learned about Martin Luther King growing up in school, but like nobody wants to talk about Malcolm X. Like, you, you know, so yeah. it's like, you know, educating yourself on, you know, Marcus Garvey and, and you know, all the, all these different people that that fought the fight for mm-hmm. us to be and have a, the certain level of freedoms that yeah. we have today. And so just really understanding, like, you know, what those people stood for. And once you educate yourself and really kind of understand, okay, where can I be most effective at? Because you have a lot of people that's boots on the ground. You know, they're gonna be out in the community, out in the field doing stuff. But you also gonna need people that's sitting around those 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 particular tables. Mm-hmm. You know, making those big decisions and making sure that our voices are heard at those particular tables. So you, you're definitely gonna need both on on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think it's important that you start educating yourself before you just jump out there. Because right. if you're just jumping out there, just trying to follow what everybody else is doing you really may not be as effective as you think you are. Right. That's real. I would just say ask questions, you know, mm-hmm. like continue to just stay curious about everything, you know, and if you stay curious about everything and you looking for answers and you stay questioning everything then you will find the answers you're looking for, you will do the due diligence to, to figure it out. But like you just said, just keep asking questions like how and you'll get the answers that you're looking for. So just just keep looking and searching for knowledge. And yeah, All right. that's a good that's a good piece of advice for the movement, but also just for life in general. So one um, hot button topic that's, you know, been in these conversations as well is um, white involvement in this movement and in this progression. I don't have a distinct opinion. I'm kind of in like a gray area, but I wanted to ask both of you, do you feel that there is a certain boundary that white allies can cross or can't cross um, in per- in pertainment to black lives i would say the only boundary i would think that they probably can't cross is don't try to say that i understand what you're going through my man <laughs> you know yeah. because you don't you don't <laughs> you really you really don't yeah uh, i'm all for white people being a part trying to help make change right. because it was even white people a part of the civil rights movement a lot of white people died you know help helping to fight for the the, the um, those black people that were disenfranchised, that were that were abused, that were killed and murdered mm-hmm. uh, during those times, um, because I even remember when the George Floyd incident happened, I had a lot of a lot of my Jewish friends reach out to me. It was like, hey, what what can we do? Like, right. you know, we're tired of this. Like, what can we do? And so, you know, I shared with them, you know, some of the things they could do to, to help, you know, this community, the Greensboro community, um, because they wanted to be there. So that would be my only thing. Just don't try to say that you know I understand what you're going through. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, obviously, you know, we, we sympathize with us, you know, stand, stand in uh, solidarity with us um, and do everything. If you hear your, your white friends saying things that they don't need to say, check them, like, right. check them. Because if you sit there and just let them go on and, and say, you know, things that, that are racially motivated, then in my, in my mind, y- y'all wanted to say. Period. Um, I would say. Uh, the same thing, you know what I'm saying? And, and as far as them showing up for us, it's more of educating yourself. 
Once you start educating yourself, we keep drawing back to the education and the knowledge of it. Once you start to educate yourself, you know what lines not to cross because you're reading what we've been through. You're actually coming to a relationship with our with our history and our struggle and our process and our progress. So that's how I would I would feel about that. Like, but as far as them being in the involvement, they have helped us get to where we are as far as working as a team, honestly. Right. And it's been a process uh, from from the civil rights all the way deep into slavery when we was trying to fight and get free from slavery we had white people that were literally trying to help get us to the underground railroad help harriet tubman get free and get north you know stuff like mm -hmm. that these were the people that were sneaking us in their wagons and stuff like that so what's going on i feel like is that they try to draw us apart so that we can't build that ally and and, and continue to change the world in a, in a positive way like that but right. yeah Definitely don't say you feel us, though. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? He hit that one on the head, yeah. though. But if I could add one little caveat, yeah. I definitely think that even us as, as black people, we have to be open to allowing white people to also help. Right. And I understand why a lot of times we're not open to it. But, you know, if we're going to see some change and, and continue to have some really some some real impact happen within our own community, we have to be open to allowing others to come in and help us as well. Right. And I agree. Agree. I definitely, no, I agree. Okay. Yeah, my man's hit on the head. Yeah, and I think most of my gray area was seeing most of my peers in response to George Floyd specifically, and they would just, you know, post their black screens. That was my main grievance, like just the black screens and then nothing else from there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what really pushed me in a gray area. But definitely after hearing both of your answers, I really am starting to see that, you know, having everyone involved is is what's going to eventually make the change forward. Um, so with that, I actually have a question that goes hand in hand with that. But um, do you all think that as a country, we will ever be able to move completely forward and out of this state that we're in right now? Mm. I hope so. Mm. I hope so. As a man of faith, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know I, I hope so. I, I'm, yeah. I'm optimistic about yeah. it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that my daughter, uh, you know, will grow up in, in, in this world and it'd be a lot better than what it is today. Because honestly, we're, we're repeating everything that happened in the sixties today. Mm -hmm. The only difference is to what he said earlier, we have social media, we have cameras, we can catch it right then and there, post it and it spreads all across the world. Mm -hmm. Imagine, you know, Emmett Till got killed in the South. Imagine how long it was until people probably out in California and New York before they heard about it. That's real. But yet, you know, like for instance, and I hate to continue to bring it, bring it up, but like George Floyd, when that happened, you know, we was able to see that, hear about that same day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And make some real, some real, some real noise about it. So with that, you know, I'm hopeful that things will get better. Um, however, it's just, it's, it, it's just, we'll see. So do you feel that we'll ever be able to fully move on, um, from this state that we're in currently? Um, well, my man's, you know, Dick Gregory, I think he says something like, um, uh, this shit is over or something like that, yeah. you know? But um, I truly feel like in order for this to change, it has to be something that starts at the top and works its way down. Like, you know, uh, trickle down economics almost, but like on a spiritual sense for, for everything to change beyond a realm of racism, um, but on some like cultural, you know, really bringing us together and unifying us as one people. I think that's going to be um, a deeper process where our leaders have to make real changes and we have to step out of a capitalistic world where we're taking advantage of each other in every way and making it more of a, of a unity-based community and world that we live in. Right. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I'm hopeful that uh, things will get better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having as, as a father, uh, having a, a, a young daughter, um, I'm hopeful that a lot of things that we've been living through, a lot of things that we've experienced that she will not have to experience in her time. Yeah. I think as, as us, as these, you know, older generations, when I say older, like those who are like, you know, 21 and up, um, it's our job to make things better for the next generation, for those coming behind us. And I think you're doing a great job, Thank you know, you doing that definitely. for you the generation that's too. coming behind you. And, uh, so I think that's, you know, as, as he spoke to earlier, you know, that's, that's our responsibility. Right. Um, is is to make sure that things are a lot better uh, for the next generation because that's what you know, Dr. King, the Malcolm X, the Fred Hamptons of the world, mm-hmm. you know, did make sure you know they had no idea what 2021 was going to look like, you know, what it was going to be, mm-hmm. but they did everything in their power to make sure that it was where it needed to be for us to be able to live and operate, and move around like we do today. Right. Although everything is not great, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, it's much better. it's much better than mm-hmm. what it once was. And um, it has to continue to get better. And mm-hmm. we have to do the work to make sure that it gets better. You give us hope, too. Oh, Absolutely. Like, for sure. Like, yeah, that's that's like the way when it's like you can I can be pessimistic, but then you run into a 16-year-old that owns their own nonprofit that's killing. <laughs> and it's like, yo, maybe the world can be a better place. Oh, thank y'all. You know? I appreciate both of y'all, too. Y'all both serve as inspirations for me. Yeah, so I appreciate you. that you. coming thank from you. y'all. Thank you. Yes, sir. And we talked about that a little bit on a previous episode, too, with my grandfather. Um, and during that episode, he was kind of recounting the contents of his life, thinking about some of the civil rights movement things that happened within his life. And um, it was just beautiful for me to see that. And then after we finished the interview, we actually went to the um, Woolworths, to mm-hmm. the Civil Rights Museum. Mm-hmm. That was the first time he ever been there. Mm. Um, but he was able to, like, paint that whole picture, how that happened. He was 19, he said. Um and he was just able to repaint that whole thing. And I just thought that was the most beautiful thing. But um, he spoke a little bit about how rough things were. And that made me really think about, well, while things are really <laughs> not great now, they were much worse then. Um, so I do appreciate the the changes that are being made. And I appreciate the progress that we've made because I think that's important. Um, but speaking of progress, I was at Friendly Center a couple days ago, weeks ago. And I was able to see um, some people standing outside with a Marcus Smith was killed in Greensboro. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that was the... I was out there, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was curious to know how that came about and then what came from that. Well, um, that was organized by the Greensboro Justice Coalition, which is um, a group of or- orgs within Greensboro, um, Beloved Community Center, Sunrise Movement, Greensboro Rising, We the People International, my organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like... Five more. So it's a lot. It's a lot of us. But we all came together. We've been working on movement work for Marcus for like a year now. Mm -hmm. And um, his case has been in a a process for two years. So uh, going on three almost. But Marcus was hogtied by Greensboro Police Department, like right around the corner from this studio. And it was a situation where it was a folk festival going on here in Greensboro. Marcus was uh, coming down the street and he was having a um, he was having a breakdown. Basically, we'll say he said that he needed help. He he said that he was on drugs. He said he was high. He said he was going crazy, but he said that he needed help and he was asking for assistance. And the officers 
that were on the scene just were very, very off-putting of him. And they weren't urging at all to get him any help, you know. And you can, if you want to, you can go look it up. Look up uh, Marcus Dion Smith, Greensboro Police Department. And it's a video that's about 20 minutes long that shows you what happened from beginning to end. And you can hear the audio off of the body cams and you can see exactly what was going on. So the way that it played out was as Marcus continued to ask for help, they... um he asked, could they take him to the, uh, could they take him to the hospital? So they told, they told him, yeah. So he gets in the back of the police car, but then they sit him there and they don't take him to the, to the hospital. So he's sitting in the back of the police car high, already tripping, panicking. And so he starts hitting on the door, trying to get out. So once they let him out, they, you know, they're like, look, man, you can't be doing that. We're going to let you out, calm down. But he's still kind of trying to, he's, he's tripping a little bit. And so um, the EMTs, they starting to get on the scene or whatever. But at this time, they have put marks on the ground and you have officers on his arms. Uh, it was kind of like George Floyd's situation, except that it happened way faster. You know, um, they rip, they rip tied him, rip hobble tied him. And haul, it's basically just a hog tie. And they put his, his arms and his feet to, together like that. And it cut off his, his breathing so he couldn't breathe. So uh, he died within a split second. And the EMTs that were there, they had no concern about what was going on with Marcus when they got there. They were more concerned about um, their ambulances. They were more concerned about transferring them to the hospital and having to deal with him more as a nuisance. And so just the protocol around how they dealt with him as a, a, a civilian of Greensboro, as a citizen of Greensboro, um, it was just very off-putting and it was very sad to see that happen mm -hmm. in such a nonchalant way. You know, that man was literally asking for help. I can imagine like you asking somebody for help and then you you end up dead um, within a split second, you know, and yes, he was homeless. And but that doesn't mean anything. He's still a person. He still matters. And um, that's why we were out there. And so we're hoping that by shutting down uh, areas like that, where it's predominantly white people that go to Friendly Center. And so translating right. that, what we're trying to do is bring awareness to our white allies that are are in these rooms, at these tables, that are talking to the mayor, that are talking to city council, that are talking to Chief James, to, to move this in the right way that it should, because that's what it's going to take overall for it to for for the people to get the overall picture. So that's that's what we're out there doing. Um, just trying to bring more awareness. We put some flyers out on people's cars and mm -hmm. educating them on exactly what happened so that it wasn't just like a, we're just out here. Like we're trying to let people know like Mark uh, Marcus is no different than George Floyd. He was mishandled by the Greensboro Police Department. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, speaking about the Greensboro Police Department recently I had a conversation with Chief James and um, we were able to talk about the issue of policing specifically in Greensboro and specifically with the black community. Um, and that is, you know, I wanted to ask him and I did ask him what changes have been made in order to, you know, prevent these issues from happening in the future. So I'm curious from the both of you, um, what would you like to see? What kind of changes would you like to see from these city officials, from the Greensboro police in order for us to move forward? Well, I would say procedural changes, you know, to start off with, you know, the way that they deal with civilians, the way that they come up into a situation like with Marcus and understanding that he has a mental illness, he's high off drugs, and it's a special way to deal with this type of person. Also, the mental evaluation of our officers, they don't get evaluated enough for the trauma that they deal with. They deal with people dying and being murdered on a the regular. They're, they're, these are first responders. Okay. So when somebody gets killed, you know, they, they are seeing this person and bleed to death. Um, I was told a story by one of the uh, police officers that worked for GPD that um, it was a house that burnt down and the officers that, that came on the scene had to see 
these bodies in the house like charred up and burnt to death little Mm -hmm. kids all of that stuff and so the mental evaluation around what these officers go through needs more attention um and um just just overall the people that we're hiring need to also have an actual care for the people that they're dealing with this shouldn't just be a position of you being a public servant but you're doing it for the badge or you're doing it to hide behind the authority and the power that you have you know it needs to be people that are put in position to actually protect the community lead the community like like how it used to be back in the day beat police you know people that actually are in the community walk and learn in the community and know the community that they're dealing with like so procedure changes protocol changes um structure changes yeah just overall the way that policing is being done right yeah, I would agree. Everything he said. I think we also have a we are, we're in a unique position to where our chief of police is from this community. Right. Um, a lot of communities cannot say that. And so, with him being from with him being from this community, he understands about about a lot of the um, the issues that we have within Greensboro. And with him being the chief of police, uh, Chief James, and and being that leader, um, he could definitely help with that educational aspect of educating those police officers who may not be from Greensboro, you know, about these communities, whether it's, you know, the Ray Warrens of the world, uh, whether it's the uh, Hampton Homes of the world, you know, any, it it could be on, on, on the, um, North side of Greensboro, in, anywhere, in any particular part of Greensboro. I'm not just want to single out just those, 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 uh, those those impoverished areas of the community, but just any area of Greensboro, and I think that um, we could definitely do a, a great job at just fair policing, just being just being fair, just being kind and courteous mm-hmm. uh, to to one another because there's a lot of distrust between the community and police officers, and rightfully so. But I think that uh, we have a unique position that we can help mend that mend that bridge, and uh, and and really allow have those police officers to have great relationships with those people in the community. Um, to where you know there can be some some type of trust, right. uh, but it's gonna it's it's gonna be a, a lot of repairing uh, that needs to be done. I agree. I yeah, agree. definitely. And I and one one other thing too, the way the policing is done is very incentivized for for just the system of police overall policing. Mm-hmm. There should not be quotas and stuff like that for these police officers, right? It should right. not be a reason that you got to meet this quota for the end of the month. Like that's crazy. It's obviously gonna make you police different, literally. Right. So, like, you know, just little stuff. Yeah, little stuff, but it's... It's, it's major. major. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's major. Yeah. So, um, that's actually going to be the conclusion of our interview, and I want to know if you guys had any um, questions for me. Um. So, uh, yeah, actually, I do. I was going to ask you, just like in general, like, with you being so young and just you're very, you get you very inspirational, very bright, vibrant mm-hmm. soul, you know, and so this is dope, like, the, I mean, just at, with your, your platform. It's, it's really dope to see what you've built. And I just want to know, like, what, what's inspired you and what's brought you to this moment of being who you are right now? Um, well, I have my own nonprofit, Chase's Chance, um, and I founded that in 2013. So the overall concept of building a platform, you know, going out, networking, things like that, it kind of started there and it continued to grow. Um, but the actual idea of a podcast kind of came through this year, being in the quarantine and, you know, looking for things to keep me entertained. I started listening to different podcasts and, you know, seeing what it was. And I was like, hey, that'd be cool. Um, and from there, you know, I also had a lot of conversations with my parents, my grandparents, and I love talking to people and hearing different things. And so that's kind of how it was born. And we've just kept growing since then. That's what's up. Thank that's you. What's up. Top five biggest influencers in your life. Oh man, that's hard. Um, I would have to say first would be 
My mom and my dad, those would be my first two. Oh man, it's gonna be a long list. <laughs> <laughs> um, my grandparents, of course. Um, just all of them are super resilient, super diligent, hard workers. They show me what it is to be strong. Um, even though it sounds pretty cliche, but yeah, they're my biggest. And then five, I'd have to say my brother, um, kind of for the same reason. He just inspires me to go out and, um, constantly be brave, push the limits on stuff and, you know, not live life scared. Just keep pushing. But I'm going to continue because <laughs> it's a lot. Um, but as far as inspirations, um, that aren't within my family circle, I'm really inspired by like Diana Ross and Tayana Taylor. Um, just that's because, cool. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. yeah, I think they're just like the most dynamic women. I also love Tyler, the creator. Um, and I think the common denominator within all of those are, they just are outside of the box thinker. They're always doing stuff different, pushing the boundaries on stuff. So even though that's eight, <laughs> that's awesome. my topic. Yeah, that's, that's cool. We can take that though. Yeah. yeah Who are y'all? I'm curious. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, you gotta go first. I gotta go first. first. Oh, yeah, cause I gotta think go about first. it too. Yeah, I got you. Gotta go so, first. So, uh, my aunt, my aunt Mary Thomas, she's the uh, chief operating officer of the Sparmer County Foundation, the largest grant writing foundation in the state of South Carolina, wow. and she's like nationally known in this philanthropic world, nonprofit world. Uh, she's really a rock star. So she's definitely one of my influences. Um, I'm gonna I'm put these two together, but my wife and my daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's my motivation to get up every day and just go out here and hustle because uh, that's I, that's what I say I do for a living is a hustle uh, yeah. in a legal way yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I would probably say three other people that I look to for inspiration definitely I'm a huge Nipsey Hussle fan mm -hmm. for everything he was doing in the philanthropic uh, sector um, before his untimely demise mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Hart's work ethic uh is something I definitely, definitely look look to because that, that guy never stops. And I hate to put these three in the box, but I have to put them in the box. Uh, but Puff, Jay Z, and Dame Dash. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a that. huge, I'm a huge Dame Dash fan. Uh, so, so yeah. I love it. Um, I, I, I guess. I got a lot of people too. So, you know, cliche, like you said, my grandma, <laughs> you know, I, I was with her today. I love mm -hmm. her to death. She's like a very, very strong, strong person in my life. My grandfather, he taught me business. Um, he was like one of the first uh, black owned charter bus companies in Greensboro. So he was doing this thing around here. Uh, my dad, he's taught me a lot about just, just work ethic and just like, just going hard. My mom, she's taught me about like dealing with people and just being a people person. Like, mm -hmm. so but as far as like uh, outside of that, I would say um, Kanye West is one of my influencers. Uh, Genghis Khan is one of my influencers. Uh, Napoleon Hill is, is uh, somebody I look up to. Um, people, I just I look up to pioneers of the world, like people mm -hmm. that 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 build the world. Um, you know. It's, I got a long list. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I got a yeah. long list. Jay-Z is one of them. Nipsey mm -hmm. Hussle. Me and Nipsey got the same birthday. Mm -hmm. So when he passed away, like, it literally ripped my soul out. Like, you know, I was crying and everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I was following him for everything that he was doing. Um, I follow a lot of fitness people, too, just right. in general, people that speak about just mind, body, and soul stuff. So 
um, a lot of different mentors. It's good to look up and have a lot of different people that you draw in, uh, energy from. So, right. yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't say this, but also like my my senior pastor, which is also my boss. That's real. Uh, he's definitely someone that's a huge influence on my life. Uh, just he's a man of integrity, obviously a man of faith, and he he, he works hard, and right. um, I I admire that. And uh, he's he's straight to the point, and you know you don't never have to guess what side of the fence he he gonna stand on. And uh, in a, you know in the world of senior pastors who pastor these mega churches, you know always you know doing always doing things wrong in the, in the news for the wrong thing, you know like you know Bishop Pierce like he's always on the side of doing what's right, right. and I respect that because uh, you don't you don't see it a lot these days. Right. You know someone who's very faithful to his wife, he takes care of his kids. Um, Every time I think about that, it, it reminds me of the Jay-Z line where he said, a man who, who doesn't take care of his family can't be rich. And not necessarily just rich in money, uh, but just just, just rich in, in life, you know, just having a really good life. And um, and I appreciate that that uh, uh, that aspect of, of him. And so he definitely plays a major influence on my life. Well, I think this has been one of my favorite conversations because y'all are so easy to talk to. And I wanted to thank you both for coming in today yeah, and having a conversation right. yeah, with me. Thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, really, sure. thank you for having me. Definitely. Yes, sir. So, um, and to the listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. And I'll see y'all next week. That's it. Thank you for tuning in to the Renaissance Project, a Black Girls Movement. Want to join the combo? Contact me via Instagram at the Renaissance PRJCT, or you can email me at the Renaissance PRJT at gmail.com. If you feel led to donate, you can do so by sending your funds to dollar sign Chase AC7 on Cash App. It is not required, but definitely encouraged. That's all from me. I hope to see you next Thursday. Until then, be well.